Welcome to the Monday's Penny Podcast for, what is this? This is Monday, the 12th of September, 2022, Uh, and I have been thinking about strange things lately, or stranger things, especially the Netflix series. It's starting to feel a little bit more like fall, where we live here in South Dakota, and while that's a long way from Hawkins, Indiana, it, it does make me think about those Stranger Things uh, series, because they were uh, so much of it is set in the fall at the start of school and then around Halloween. So uh, thinking about that had me thinking about the storytelling and the way that they tell this narrative of these friends that are fighting the powers of darkness that are unseen to the rest of us. Because I, I'm I'm a writer, or a wannabe writer at least. I think all writers are wannabe writers. It's just some of them have more commercial success than others. But I, I'm, I'm interested in not just the stories we tell, but the way we tell the stories and the framework that we use to create stories. And I'm fascinated by the way that the Duffer brothers that wrote Stranger Things, the, the way that they do this, because they... they set up this world that mimics in so many ways Dungeons and Dragons and the, the fictional world there. But it's not that they take that world and just recreate it with live characters in it. They create an analogous world, a similar world, but then the, the characters, the kids in it, they're able to understand it because it's analogous to what they know. Now, that may be getting a little too far into the weeds. You can judge for yourself when you hear what I have to say in this week's Penny. But to me, that's, that's really fascinating. They also take the different characters and give them traits of the um, different roles that you might play in D&D. Now, I'm not a, a D&D guy myself. That was a level of nerdery that I, I just was not, I could not access that young. I've got... Several friends that, that were, but I never got into that. But some of the different characters that you find in that, the characters in Stranger Things mimic those characters. So, for instance, uh, uh, Dustin, kind of the class clown, is a bard. So he is the one that is always bringing snacks and being the comic relief and trying to keep people laughing. He even does a musical number in one of the seasons so that that bard role that you find in D&D, he adopts that and his character expresses that. Will, who ends up trapped in the Upside Down, he uh, is a, a um, oh, what do you call it? Basically a cleric. That's it, a, a cleric. So he's one of the, the people that's really in touch with the spiritual and maybe a little bit more susceptible to these dark forces as a result. Uh, Max. Max is my favorite character. She is a, a mage. She's, uh, or not, uh, I think she does call herself a mage and, and she's a rogue. Like the, there's all these things. And I, I've linked in uh, the show notes and you can also find this on the, the blog post at mondayspenny.com. Uh, I've linked to uh, a website where somebody with a lot more nerd cred than I've got has laid all this out for us. So that that storytelling is fascinating to me. A couple of other things that I'm going to put in these notes, I'm going to link to the print version of the penny, 
partly because there is a photograph of me in there at age 11 that some of you would find humorous. So I'm going to let you take a look at that. And you can laugh at me all you want, but that version of Eric won the Charleston Elementary School spelling bee that way or that year and was runner up in the Franklin County spelling bee. So, hey, don't knock it. I was a big deal in my own head for a little while. Uh, I'm also going to link in the show notes to a story from Harvard Business Review that is talking about improvisation, because that's really where the heart of this week's penny um, is. And a thing that I've been dealing with and uh, uh, trying to figure out for uh, a while now that I'm probably going to be wrestling with for a while further. But how do we take our experiences of the past and the things that we know and put them to work for us. Um, and what the, the Harvard Business Review article does is it looks at LARPs, live-action role-playing games, L-A-R-P games. And it posits that people that are able to successfully navigate those games have skills that transfer into real life because they're meant to mimic real life and the skills that you need of collaboration, competition especially, but also of improvisation uh, and innovation and responding to what the world throws at you, you develop those in those games. So it's an interesting article. Very nerdy. This whole thing this week is very nerdy. But I think that by channeling that inner nerd that we've got, we, uh, we really dig into things and we find ways to use what we learn. So I'm not sure where your nerdery lies. Uh, it, it can be in a lot of different places, and I'll, I'll get into that in the penny. But I think there's something attractive about being a nerd, about loving something so much that we really dig into it to the point that other people look at us and say, what are you doing? And I don't mean just looking towards something we're successful at or something that we win awards or get praise for. I mean something that we're interested in just because of the subject itself or just because of the the field itself. Uh, and, and when we can get into that and learn, we find that it helps us shape our view of the world. So whatever you're into, be a nerd about it. And maybe this week's penny will give you some encouragement along those lines. Nerd first. Debate nature versus nurture all you want, but I will tell you an incontrovertible truth. I was born a nerd. The bright red hair, bad eyesight, and subsequent thick glasses, buck teeth, good grades, social ineptitude, I had it all as a kid. If Stranger Things had been casting in Charleston, Arkansas in 1986, I would have been a shoe-in for at least a bit part. How could the mind flayer possibly match up against a kid who rooted for canceled recesses so he could stay in the classroom and read the encyclopedias? At least, that's what I tell myself. The truth is, I probably would have peed my pants the first time I saw Eleven levitate a toy spaceship. Vecna would have snapped me up into a hundred little pieces before Kate Bush even got to the chorus of running up that hill. Honestly, 
I would have had no shot. Why? Because those nerds had something I didn't. A LARP. For those of you trying to work out the acronym, let me save you a Google search. Live Action Role Playing Game. When playing a LARP, players often dress in costume and adopt a certain role, usually defined by strengths and weaknesses that require cooperation with a team. Think about the Jumanji reboots, or Avengers Endgame, or maybe improvisational theater, or marching band, or team sports, anything that involves funny costumes and role-playing. The storytelling in Stranger Things relies on perhaps the most famous nerd LARP ever, Dungeons and Dragons. The four friends who begin the series understand their quest in terms of D&D. Will gets trapped in the Upside Down, a version of the Veil of Shadows illustrated by the underside of the game board. The monsters in the series, Demogorgon, Shadow Monster, Mind Flayer, Vecna, take their names from D&D villains. The protagonists adopt the roles of D&D heroes. One of the geniuses of the Duffer Brothers' writing is that they do not force the fictional universe of D&D into Hawkins, Indiana. Rather, they set mysterious events in motion and then let the characters themselves name what they see according to categories they are familiar with. And this understanding informs their strategies for meeting the threats. Seen another way, the kids are able to understand what others can't because they have experience in an analogous setting. They know what to do in the real world because they have done it in the fictional realm of D&D. Alas, I was never a nerd of that caliber. I couldn't even have made it into the door of the Hellfire Club. I may have had a vivid imagination, but my childhood world consisted more of baseball trivia and farm life of my parents. I probably would have thought the demodogs were just diseased cows. My nerdery was doubtlessly insufficient for survival. I would have been easy prey. You laugh, but there's actually some compelling science involved here. A study published last year in Harvard Business Reviews suggests that the skills needed for LARPs translate very well to the business world. Those best able to adapt to rapidly changing circumstances are those who have developed what authors call imitative, reactive, and generative improvisation skills. They know how to compete and how to collaborate. These abilities, practiced in the imaginary realm, pay dividends in the real world. Of course, such skills don't just happen, apologies to you mages, by magic. To be really adept in D&D requires a tremendous investment of time and focus. The payoff is not won by luck. It is earned by time and effort. The heroes of Stranger Things find they are ready for their quest not because they find a handbook to tell them what to do, but because they have been improvising in the face of similar problems their whole lives. When it comes to facing monsters from the Shadow Realms, I am woefully unprepared. But if I stop to think about what I've invested most of my life doing, I nonetheless find some useful skills. I can usually solve problems of home repair, or at least patch them up until we get a pro in to do a more permanent fix. I am not the world's greatest musician, but I am competent enough on multiple instruments to be useful. 
I invest enough in my body to be able to do physical labor when the occasion arises. And all the time I've spent with language, the hours upon hours reading and writing and deleting and editing and rewriting, well, it's still a struggle most days. But I'm also usually able to find the words I need in a given situation. I am able to say what I mean to say more often than not, which goes a long way toward both challenging things that are wrong with the world and offering ideas of how they could be better. Several years ago, when my young friend Haley died suddenly, I was left not only to deal with my own grief, but to shepherd dozens of grieving college students through theirs. To my surprise, I mostly knew what to do, not because of any seminary training, but because so many friends and mentors had helped me develop abilities to see and to care and to respond to crises. It's a good feeling, discovering unexpected competencies. But it takes work, the kind nerds know how to do. Nerds, after all, have a capacity for single-mindedness, as evidenced by the way we attach the word to the end of our interests. I can be a book nerd, a science nerd, a band nerd, a grammar nerd, a movie nerd, a baseball nerd. My wife is a death nerd. My eldest son is a jazz nerd. My youngest son is a polka nerd. My therapist assures me this is all perfectly normal, but I've caught her hiding her laughter. You get the idea, though. To claim to be a nerd about something, you have to give a good chunk of yourself over to it. You have to study, to practice, to fail, to try again. You have to pay more attention than maybe is healthy. You have to be a little obsessive. It pays off, though. Knowing a thing that well not only enables us to find connections with our larger lives, it also enables us to improvise when things go off the rails. So, nerd first. Dive into what you love. Give it more time than it deserves. You'll be surprised how well such nerding can prepare you for what's to come. (laughs) 